And so I let I, I start to look at that pattern. What are you doing? Uh, and, I, and I see what are, where's their mindset? What are the things that they're acknowledging? And what I have found is many or majority of the athletes will acknowledge their failures. And to me, when we're dealing with a high failure rate game, you cannot be acknowledging only your failures because that's where you then all of a sudden you're lingering in that state of failure. So I, what I get, I start to bring it. If you want more power, better vision, and a bulletproof mindset, then I would like to welcome you to CG Plus, Complete Games Online Player Development Center. Now, baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels can access a multimedia experience providing education and instruction on your personal mobile platform. Rob Cruz has put together an online video portal, a remote hitting program, as well as a series of online hitting courses boasting a curriculum that features pitch recognition strategies, power, video analysis, mental skills, and then some. For more info, log on to www.cg.plus. That's www.cg.plus to find out how you can complete your game today. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. How you doing, everybody? This is Transcending Sport. I'm Rob Cruz. I'm your host. My guest is Tina Whitlock, Coach Tina Whitlock, former USC softball standout, former U.S. Olympian, and MLB coach. And we have her as a guest today. Coach Whitlock, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob, for having me. Looking glad forward you, to talking glad, some ball. Glad you, glad you could be on. So the last time we chat, last time we had a conversation, we talked for a long time. It was like one of the most refreshing conversations that I've had, I've had in a while. And, um, but there's still so many more things that I really wanted to kind of know about you. And I wanted to be able to introduce you to my listeners and to my audience, because I always like to make sure that my audience hears from good people and people who know the game and people who have a lot to give, people who have a passion for what they do and who are exceptional at what they do. So um, to my listening audience, you're about to, you're about to meet someone who's uh, very special, has a very special place in, in, in player development on the whole. So um, let's, let's talk about, um, tell me about you and what, how you, you know, you can start wherever you want to start. You start in high school, you start at USC. Like how, how'd you get into baseball? Why, why baseball? How'd you get into baseball? Well, baseball, I have my roots in baseball. Um, when I was a child, I was a Navy brat, moved all around. And when we lived in Utah, while my dad had recruiting duty, um, it, was, it was very limited in what was being offered to the girls. You know, you could go into the Girl Scouts, the Brownies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. My dad being a, you know, an absolute sports fanatic and loving, loving baseball, he got me into Little League Baseball. And when we moved back to California, my cousins were playing. So I, I decided to play baseball, continue playing baseball, played up until like the seventh grade when, mm-hmm. you know, people were um, saying, hey, it's time to be thinking about college and the avenue to get to college. So. I decided to pick up softball kind of late in the game for most. Um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate on the West Coast, fast pitch, you know, was pretty dominant at that time. So I was among some of the best athletes in the world. Thus, 
Um, you know, I later on in my career had the chance to play USA ball, but many of the, the young ladies that I played with early on in my youth, you know, were the women that actually made it to the, U, the, the team USA, or the Olympic team. I made it to team USA. My, my, my um, teammates made it to the Olympic team. Okay. However, um, so in high school, as I, as I, um, was kind of deciding what sport to play because at that time I was a multi-sport athlete and um, I ran cross country. I played water polo. I think I tried everything else, you know, just to give it, give it a, give it a whirl, you know, and um, decided that um, doing winter baseball was going to be the best thing to prep me for my spring season softball. And so coach Butch Smith, who actually was also Dave Roberts coach, um, he allowed me to come on and train with the baseball team for, for two seasons. And I continued to train, caught bullpens, played third base, pinch hit, and trained with the guys. And I loved it because they were the ironing, iron sharpens iron to, to mm. my game. And, you know, was fortunate to be recruited and signed with the University of South Carolina before the SEC mm -hmm. had come into existence for women's softball. And my senior year um, was the first ever SEC championship. And was I was very fortunate to have a team that had a you know, a good run, and we ended up being ranked number one in the nation and winning the first ever um, SEC championship, made a World Series appearance. Didn't do too hot there, but we did it. We made it. That was really our goal was to make it, and um, we accomplished that. And um, Let me ask you, because um, now I want to pick pick apart some things that you said, and I want you, if you'd like to, I'd love for you to elaborate further. So you're a multi-sport athlete. And there, there was a time, I remember there was a time in like late 90s, maybe early 2000s, where a lot of players were were not encouraged to be multi-sport athletes. They, they were actually encouraged to focus on one individual sport and make it year round. And right about that time is right around when softball started to become, right around early 2000s, um, when softball started to become more of a fall, there, there was fall showcases now where, where mm -hmm. there was more of them popping up where there hadn't been. Because usually the norm was, if I'm a female athlete, I'm playing three sports. I'm playing a fall sport, I'm playing a winter sport, and I'm playing a spring sport. And it's pretty much the same women that are same young ladies that were playing yeah. those sports that were playing also your teammates for three seasons <laughs> in three different you're sports. You're athletes. <laughs> it's, right, it's, you're the school athlete. That's your, that's your role for the school, right? So, um, what was that like at the time you played? Because back then, you know, um, being an athlete, multi-sport, uh, what was it like in terms of lifestyle and being able to fit in with other things that you wanted to get done as a just as a person? Well, I think you know, the biggest thing for me was um, being a military brat. I was oh, okay. just I had learned to just to really adapt. Mm -hmm. So a multi-sport athlete for me was like a normal thing it's like every few months every few years you get the itch for change right you yeah. want change and i think for me being a multi-sport athlete taught me much more than just a, the, an athletic skill um you know I, I had a chance to be a leader maybe in in one sport and the other one i was there to 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 learn and listen in different ways and so i think each sport offered up something different and um, for example, with the water polo, um, it was a club team and we were actually playing against guys. We would get in there and we'd compete against the guys because we were trying to introduce the sport of women's water polo. And so it took a special group of young women to say, hey, this is what we're going to build. So I was very fortunate that I was part of 
part of that. But then again, fast forward to the SEC being foundational in that as well. Um, if you fast forward in my career now, those things help to build what I'm doing now as far as trying to be, you know, um, bringing females into the game of baseball. I think mm -hmm. you have to know how to grow something and how to build a foundation and something. So to me, those things were normal. And I think the multi-sport athlete piece of things was just highly beneficial in, in various ways. Um, when I speak to my young athletes, I tell them that, you know, this is the opportunity for them to grow in a variety of ways. Because sometimes if you're in one one sport or one particular team, you might have a click there that just it maybe the chemistry is just not right. Mm -hmm. How or or maybe the coach on another team and another sport it just knows how to coach in a different manner that gets the most out of you. So I think um you know each environment's gonna be able to offer something when i ran cross country for me personally because it was more of an individual sport at that time um i learned how to push my body i learned how to push my mind and in, in a way that um just had it, it taught me how to understand my capacity of how i could do 20 times more <laughs> than yeah, what yeah. i thought i was <laughs> so let me ask you this so you mentioned that you were part of team usa but you but some of your teammates on Team USA were actually a part of the Olympic team. Yeah. How, for some people who don't understand how that works, how does that work? One, and two, who were some of the players that you played with? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you to talk name dropping right now. We want, we want yeah, you to name drop. Yeah, well, I was, I was fortunate to play <laughs> with the greats. I was sandwiched in between the, the older women who had stuck it out to, mm -hmm. to really bring the best softball into the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, Laura Berg, Leo O'Brien, right, right. um, <laughs> Lisa Fernandez, Dot mm -hmm. Richardson, Lori Harrigan, Mac, oh my gosh. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, numerous other greats mm -hmm. of the games, legends in the game, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, on the, on the younger side, Jenny Finch, right? And mm -hmm. um, so I was sandwiched right there. Laura Berg, Leo O'Brien, like, we played together ever since we were 14 years old. So we were, we were right there in the middle between that little bit older group of women and the younger group of women. So I think we came through at a really good time in the game um so the way it worked at least back when i played team usa would get a pool of like 50 some athletes and we would train at various competitions and for each event they would choose um, specific teams to go represent the u.s um, to different qualifiers for different events yep. and they just as as the year um, went on each it, um just kind of fine-tuned what they were what team they were going to put together and put right, on gotcha, the field gotcha. for the final event mm -hmm. and they may have made some modifications to that um i think when i coached with the british national team it was very similar as well yep. just didn't compete in as many events so i, ha I have a leo o'brien story a leo o'brien <laughs> amico story so i was when i first this is right in the beginning when i first started to learn about the game of softball because i was coming from straight hardcore baseball dude and <laughs> i was starting to gain some traction and helping a lot of young ladies to realize a more powerful swing. And at the time, uh, home run hitting and power hitting in, in softball wasn't prevalent. You know, yeah. a few people understood how to get the ball out of the park, at least on the, in the Northeast in our little small little community, right? But they weren't hitting home runs. So anyway, I, I, I decided to bring in some of the best. I said, let's reach out and bring some people to, to um, New York so that I can help get more knowledge to players and coaches about what it should look like. And we were able to get Leo O'Brien and me go to come to uh, the facility in New York. 
and I, and I, I was so I'm throwing her front toss so she could put on a little demonstration. And let me tell you, this is the first time that I really saw how the swing should be. And, and at the time, there was a there was a debate about the baseball swing versus the softball swing. But my I, I had always felt like, why would it be different if we're trying to hit a ball hard? Why why should softball have its own special swing? That doesn't make any sense. It, it, well, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm so I'm like, just because they're, they're they're females doesn't mean that they can't swing the bat the right way. Why are you trying to make up a whole nother way that they have to swing a bat? It's, it's just it's just and, and then I got I got a lot of flack. Well, you know that guy's teaching a baseball swing, and girls shouldn't have baseball swings. Like, what are you talking about? It's not a baseball swing. It's a <laughs> swing. It is a swing. Yeah. Why are we putting a gender on a swing? Why are we putting right? So, Leah Leo Bryant gets in the cage. She, when I tell you, she put on a freaking clinic. Yep. <laughs> all I can say was, you see, you see. <laughs> and then I come to find out a little bit, maybe like an hour after that, that she was about a couple of months pregnant, and I'm like. And she was pregnant, okay? And she was <laughs> That's pregnant. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. It was like, it was the most, uh, and, and I got fired up. I, that was like, a, 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 it inspired me to like, okay, now we got to change. We got to change some things around here. Things have to change. Yeah. And consequently, yeah. things change. And that, that's a, that, and that is a, an example of um, the things that the players from the first, the original regime in the beginning, you, 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 uh, you brought them up as the, as the founding, you know, the founding players of the, of the USA, right? Back then, back then. Yes. Um, the sacrifices that they made for the good of the game. And a lot That's of people don't, under, people don't understand that just because a lot of these young ladies are working in softball and continuing their careers, they're not really making money. They're, not re they're sacrificing a lot because they could be out, they could be somewhere else, nine to five, making money, making way more money than they're making. But because of their love and their passion for the game, they're able to, they were able to like figure out, well, I, this is what I got to do. I have to do this. And that, and so for yeah. people like you that stuck it out and stayed in the game and stayed connected to the game, you know, it, it's just, it's just, it's just giving so many more people so many more opportunities. It's amazing. It's it, to me, you know, yes, there is a sacrifice to it exactly. But when yeah. we love things right, we see it more as a commitment. And to me, that's the beauty of it. And mm -hmm. we needed more women in the game to to be able to find a way and, and many women did they either put their careers on hold or they allowed for their career to, you know found a way with their career to do both and that was you know like leah to be a mother and and, and a, an athlete i cannot tell you how many young women you know that i've worked with run like hey you, you can you don't have to be just a mom or you just don't have to be a student you can be both you can be more than just this one-dimensional you know person living out your dream mm -hmm. and when we have women that are dynamic like leah and dot yeah who went and got her medical degree right mm -hmm. uh, people like that who 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 or many of the women that became firefighters or law firefighters or law enforcement alongside their 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 softball career you know they they were an example of just excellence and yeah. that's what we need in the game is excellence that's how we're going to lay up a, a very firm foundation i look across the the nation right now and seeing the game how 
the the girls game has grown and yep. to see that you know we've got the, the the athletes unlimited now with their thing we did the ccsl this summer so mm -hmm. we have growth now in the game to start providing opportunities as well as opportunities overseas for mm -hmm. women to play some form of professional softball now too and i think you know that you go back and you look you reflect back and you have to say thank you to those women that found a way to make it happen and um speaking of great hitters in the game just recently also worked with crystal bustos she came out and did a camp for the ccsl this summer mm -hmm. so you know, she's the Babe Ruth of our game and can she can hit mm -hmm. that that debate of you know the softball, the softball swing versus the baseball swing. Um, a friend of mine back when I was um, working out of Atlanta, a guy named Jerome Walton, he was a rookie of the year um, mm -hmm. for the Braves. And he said to me, he said, Tina, it doesn't matter really, honestly. When the ball's coming at you 90 miles an hour, <laughs> it's still coming fast. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's all about, you know, being able to barrel it up and um, execute in the moment, bring st strategy to, to the game. And to me, I think that um, if we focus on the differences rather than the similarities, that's where we go wrong. So <laughs> the first time I saw Crystal Bustos hit, um, I, I went to a Philadelphia Force game, right? <laughs> and uh, I, I don't remember what team, I don't know if she was on the Force or if she was on a visiting team. I don't even remember what team she was on. But I had went down to the force batting practice to spend some time with uh, some some players that I was kind of working with and kind of helping with their swings and stuff. So she gets up. They're at a minor league stadium, and you got the softball fence. But then beyond that, you have the baseball <laughs> stadium fence, right? Yes. I know you're laughing because you know where I'm going. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so she, she's taking BP, and I'm like. And I'm just watching, and I had no idea who she was, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm just learning the game, right? And um, I think I found out who she was afterwards. She hit, she was hitting, she was one hopping, like dead center, major league baseball dimensions, right? With a softball, yeah. just in BP. Just I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think the first time I saw her hit, I was, I, we were. We were competing against each other and they had put me in center field and so i think she launched one over my head i think that was my first introduction to crystal yeah, <laughs> and i would know. say it was a, i would have to say it was a good one yeah absolutely so now your, your journey your, your sec um you were one of the uh you were on the south carolina team you were one of the founding players of the sec am i correct yes yes yeah. first ever what, sec championship team what was that like as the SEC being a young conference, by the way, I think, when, when was the SEC? Started? That was the first year in 1997. That was yeah. the very first year. So, yeah. you know, it's amazing. You you know, as you're going through it, you don't realize that you're making history. Yes, you yes. Know? Mm -hmm. And and that that is just, to me, that's, we were just locked in and focused. We had an amazing pitcher on the mound, um, Trinity Johnson, Sky Brown, um, and Nikki Beers. They were that was our battery. We had three, like three, a battery of three, right? Wow. And um, we were sixty-three and uh, sixty-five and three that year. Or no, I'm sorry, sixty-three, <laughs> sixty-three and five. And two of those losses came at the World Series. So we were just. We did really well. A lot of one-run games at that time. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, we—it was a dream season for us, and we're looking back on it now to see how strong the SEC is. It's pretty amazing. I know how that happened, and that's funny. I always think back, and a lot of people—some people—I don't know if people realize this, but uh, I always think about Mike Candrea and Sue Inquest. 
yes. as, as, as two of the many catalysts who were able to take their success and knowledge of the game and share it so that the other teams and the other coaches can grow and take it even further. Yep. Which is what, that's that's called evolution. That's called organic evolution, which is how it's supposed to be. And I, I give them a lot of credit because I remember when they were, every year it was Arizona UCLA. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, our senior year, Joyce Compton was our our head coach, who is a, you know, a Hall of Fame coach as well. And, you know, South Carolina being um, one of the most historical programs in the Southeast for women's bass pitch, um, Joyce Joyce had done a great job of building a foundation, you know, for the sport. Um, You know, softball sometimes gets a lot of flack for not sharing knowledge. And you're, you're very, you're very right in those. Kendrea and Inquist being able to share knowledge, very much like the baseball world, um, a very much an open book as open far book. as sharing and growing the game. And those two have done wonders in regards to um, that part of it. Yeah, they really have. So now you 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 you, you play college soft, softball. How does how does because eventually you go back to baseball. So and before and before you go into that, I wanted to say this. Once upon a time, I did a clinic. I did a baseball clinic in Cooperstown, New York at the Hall of Fame. And I had no idea. I thought I was gonna go up, we're gonna work with some hitters. It was like a camp at Nelson Doubleday Field. And this was early in my coaching career. And I, an opportunity came, like, you wanna go to Cooperstown? I'm like, heck yeah, I wanna go to Cooperstown. Let's go, yeah. right? So <laughs> I get there and they put me at a station with Orlando Cepeda. So I'm sitting there like, and like, that's Orlando Cepeda. How am I going to talk hitting next to this guy? <laughs> so it was, it was like Orlando Cepeda, uh, Gaylord Perry, uh, Brooks Robinson, all these phenomenal greats that you only read about and heard stories about. And I'm sitting there, obviously they're a little older and you know, their, their, their uniform doesn't quite fit the same way it fit <laughs> when they were their prime. But still, it's, it's still, those are still the people. Like they still did yeah. it. I'm still in the room with them. I'm still... In their, in their space, it was just an amazing opportunity. So there was also a station with some um, some USA baseball, women's baseball players that were there. There were two USA women's baseball players there. And at the time, I had no idea that there was a USA women's baseball team. I did not know that. But when I looked at the two women that came over in the USA baseball uniforms and the way that they just walked, and they were just, but they're not, I can tell, they're not softball players though. Like I just, you know, you just know what a softball player looks like, kind of. I said, yeah. Could it be that they're baseball players? So I, I went over, I introduced myself, and, they, and I, I figured, I found out that they were actually USA Women's Baseball players. And in my career growing up, you know, growing through the game, all of the girls who came from baseball always had the better throw. Their throwing arms were just, they threw the ball. You can tell she played baseball. Yeah. That's not a way they threw the ball. <laughs> they threw it harder. They, they, they usually threw it a little bit more uh, mechanically correctly in terms of arm action, right? And I'm like, okay, so she played baseball. You can you just identify those kids who eventually turn 14, 15 and have to come to softball because they kind of have to in a, in, a, in a lot of ways. But um, what was it like trans, uh, what was your transition like coming from baseball to softball from the bat weight to the, the difference in how the pitch came at you, the bigger ball? What is, what the, how'd you feel about that? Was it, was it an easy transition? Was it difficult? What was it like? 
Yeah, you know, it honestly was all very natural to me. It was like, there's the ball, because it's between you and the ball. It's just you and the ball. Mm -hmm. And my goal is just to barrel that up. So mm -hmm. to me, it was a very easy transition. Mm -hmm. um, I think you make a good point, like the um, earlier about the arm action and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, to me, like the baseball world does a great job of investing in arm care, arm programs and all of that. So you actually see more practicing of that. I think the softball world is definitely getting better and you're seeing that um, at the higher levels um, and you're seeing more of a commitment to that because you, it is an investment. And, um, what we, we do need to do a better job though of, is making sure that our battery takes care of their arms better. We're, we're starting to see a larger battery um, as far as, I mean, bullpens and um, again, making sure that our pitch counts, we need to do, we need to put some rules in place, you know, for our young women. We are now, we have arrived in the sense that we've grown the game to a point now where we have enough young pitchers that we can we can now add pitch counts and take care of our arms and stuff like that. But as far for me, the, the transition was very easy. Um, I didn't have any problems. You know, um, if anything, it was more just different cultural things. You know, yeah. I was very serious about my game. And I think, um, you know, in the, in the baseball world, you do have that pro career that's still there that you can, you know, we're, we're still, we're still figuring that piece out. There's a lot of growth that still needs to take place in the softball world, but coming up, I was very serious about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to accomplish. And I think sometimes my frustration came when I couldn't find somebody that was on that same page. Um, you know, um, as I, as I moved through the ranks, definitely there were people and, and um, young women that were on that same page. And so for me, it, it became a lot better. Did you play professional softball? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. No, I can't. I can't hear you now. I can't hear you now. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Oh, it muted. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't go. know how it muted. <laughs> sorry good. about good. that. Um, so for me personally, um, the game um, was better um, as I progressed through the ranks because I was now amongst the elite and everybody was on the same page and they, they had the same commitment level. I will tell you this, um, when I was in the baseball world as a coach and I would inter like with my colleague, Charles Peterson, unfortunately he passed away last year, but he'd invited me to a, um, around like it was a kind of a speed dating event to, to get to know all the current prospects. Mm -hmm. And as we interviewed each prospects for um, the professional with the different professional teams down in Atlanta, and we would ask them how their time in the Cape was. And each and every one of them answered in the way, same fashion. They were finally amongst people who had the same commitment level to them. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, you know, for me, it was confirmation that the things I experienced when I, when I was younger were still the same things here. And that regardless of being in the softball world or the baseball world, it was just the, the natural progression of that, you know, I guess the kind of the cream rising to the crop in the, in mm -hmm. the field. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're just like, as you move through those ranks, not only does the game get faster, the commitment level and the, and the ability to execute at that level comes about. And I think that's where the nice challenge lies. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So pro, pro softball wise, coming out of, coming out of college, you played some pro softball and I did. you, you, um, and I had an opportunity to coach pro softball with the, with the AAA Pride, and that was one heck of an experience. And I had an even deeper appreciation for how hard softball is. 
it it is i mean during the time that i played Mm -hmm. i was playing dual because they had just opened up um to open it up to where you could play amateur and Mm -hmm. you could play professionally Mm -hmm. so i was bouncing back me and a few of my teammates were bouncing back and forth between team usa ball with a mound at 40 feet and then going to the wpsl um and the mound was at 43 feet Mm -hmm. so talking about an adjustment within like a week you're 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 you're, (laughs) you are playing with some serious timing and and having to make adjustments and acclimate very very quickly and um that was a great time i I personally only i only played one year pro i had um I made a decision to start my family and I was planning on coming back, but unfortunately um, tragedy hit my family and I lost my husband. Um, But this is the next best thing, right? Is that as I raised my children, being able to come back into the game as a coach. And I think being able to give back in that capacity has been much more rewarding than my playing days ever could have been. Um, So we got the pro softball career. So, you, you, how how does one come from where you came from and do everything that you've done? How'd you how'd you how'd you end up in Major League Baseball as a coach, though? I mean, that's the thing that I, 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 you got to you got to tell us, like how. Well, um, if you know me, you know I have a, a strong faith, mm-hmm. and um, I was had started coaching some baseball in my local community because the gentleman that I work with, Kelly Aarons with um, yeah. Test and Train Sports mm-hmm. and Stars and Stripes, we had we needed a coach that weekend for one of our, you know, 12U, 14U teams. And he asked me if I'd like to coach baseball. And I, I said, yes, I, I agreed to it. And to me, I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I did the, the softball coaching at the time. I don't know if it's just because it was just take me back to my roots um, or just truly a God thing. Um, mm-hmm. But as I was coaching, at that same time, I was coaching with Team GB, which is the Great Britain national team as a pitching coach there mm-hmm. or a battery coach. And um, I got a call from Tyrone Brooks. And he's like, um, listen, your resumes come across my desk and I want to talk to you about opportunities in baseball and how, how would you consider this? And I had asked him, you know, to if I could call him back when I got back from Japan because we were preparing for the World Games, and that's what I wanted my focus to be. Um, and we went, we did well. I think we finished tenth there at the World Games, tenth or eleventh. Um, um, what I think I, I aged one day because I went, I traveled all around the world. <laughs> and that was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got back, I had really prayed about things, and at that time, you know, I'd been doing some stuff in development with Kelly Aaron's, and I thought, you know what? I've wanted to coach the highest of levels with the with the top athletes and let's Lord, let's let's do this. Let's do this. And so I called Tyrone and I said, I, don't, I may not have all the questions to ask or understand what this looks like, but I am interested. And so I got involved with several different programs. And um, at that time, my colleague Charles Peterson had just shown up in the facility I was working at. He was a scout with the St. Louis Cardinals and he would he started giving me um, just different tasks to go he he was tasked with finding a shortstop and so he sent me on a couple different i don't know i wouldn't say errands but right, they were right. little assignments that, to go watch a couple different um 
um, short stops and, and giving back some scouting reports and everything that I was doing was proving to be good. And he would coach me along the way, you know, to look at the game from a specific angle. And um, all of a sudden, everything just started to line up for me as far as, you know, the ability for me to read the game, to learn it quickly, and then, you know, give back to, you know, whoever was in need of it. And so I just started writing some scouting reports, you know, or reporting back to different, you know, different people and um, was able to land an interview with the Cardinals um, through that connection and um, was able to get down and be a fourth coach. However, due to COVID, it didn't really pan out for very long. So mm-hmm. um, here I am. I'm back in the interview process. I've been, mm-hmm. been fortunate that I've interviewed with the mm-hmm. with the Rays, the Reds, the Red Sox, mm-hmm. um, and numerous. I think I covered all the R's of the Royals, yeah. maybe <laughs> all the R's there, mm-hmm. um, and in and, and various other teams um, throughout the last year. And so I'm hoping that the work that I've done over the last year and previous years will lead to something and open another door in baseball. So most people I've found uh, kind of people talk about their faith. They, they talk about it, right? And, but they don't talk about it. They never go into, into depth about it because I think sometimes people may feel uncomfortable asking certain questions from people, people who are people of faith or sometimes the people of faith are a little bit apprehensive to share because they don't want to come across as I'm pushing my faith on you, right? But yeah. also, <laughs> I, but I also believe that it's important. I think it's important to share because it could inspire somebody else to want to know more about God. And people don't even like using the word God. It's like, oh, did you say God? You can't say God. Why can't I say God? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm always intrigued, and I, and I and you know, the first time we, we talked, you know, I had. Uh, I know when somebody is a person who God has their hand on, I can tell, right? It's, it's not for me. And I, and I know the difference It's called discerning, right? I have, yeah. I, have the, I have the ability to, to discern that when I'm, when I'm, when I'm dealing with people in my, in my, in my walks, which gives me the ability to also be able to, uh, to kind of, <laughs> uh, discern character and know who to kind of work with, who not, who not to work with. And in this business, I'm sure that's, that's a very valuable asset that be able to have, you know, in your toolbox. So share with us how your faith, um, you know, you, you how it how it helps you in your day to day for your decisions, preparations, and be able to inspire you in terms of because you know our country is going through a lot uh, over the past couple of years, um, and some people have have came out on the other side of it in pretty good shape, but everybody doesn't have that testimony, right? So um, what, what, what do you say to people who, who have struggled as a, as a woman of faith and a woman of God um, with, with making that transition through these adverse times, right? That everybody's going through. Um, what do you say to those, to, those, to, those, to those athletes out there? I, got a, I have a lot of young athletes, uh, a lot of um, coaches that, that listen to the podcast who comment on different things and how much they enjoy it. But we've never really got into this part. We've never really got into this part of it, which is another reason why I wanted you to be my first podcast coming back from the break of that stuff. Man, you know, we are, we're living in some very heavy times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, things that are tragic, 
things that are tearing at our seams and creating division. And, you know, I see it daily, daily. I have, I lost my colleague to COVID. I have three athletes with COVID. Um, I work with, you know, athletes of various races. And, you know, the one thing that I, I try my best to do is convey to them that they are loved. Because love is the most powerful thing out there. It can move mountains and it is, it is but without it, we, we are like nothing. The Bible says we are nothing. So to me, first off, I, I want to convey that they are loved. Um, I, I just think it's the edge for me. My faith is my edge. It's what brings about courage. It brings about perseverance. It brings about truth. So that's the other thing is I always, you know, when I'm working, whether it's my athletes or the people that I come in contact throughout the day, I just want to share with you the truth of my experience. And if my experience brings about um, enlightenment in your life, or if it brings about encouragement in your life, or if it if it, it helps sustain you in any way, then I have done my job as sharing um God's, God's love, God's truth, God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the questions, you know, the, the, um, the, in my interview with the Cardinals was, you know, give me three words that described you. And I, I, you know, put in there, I have courage, I'm bold and I have faith, right? Those are some of the, the words that I gave and, you know, to, and, and love, you know, that was the other thing in there, you know, to me, those are just very powerful things. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to love, I think a lot of people, you know, they think it, they, they kind of think of it that it's in the romantic piece that it's just, or it's just the, that it's patient and it's kind. And when we get down to the absolutes of love, you know, it's, it, 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 it's truthful, it perseveres and it never fails. Never and that's fails. the piece that <laughs> it never fails. Ever. That's how it's concluded, right? Is love never fails. And so I'm looking, when I look through my own life and how I've had to to raise my children and do this the way, you know, do life um, without a spouse and truly raise two young men that um, I, I have to look at that piece that love never fails. And to me, mm-hmm. that's an edge in anything that you do. That's incredible. <laughs> Woo, that was, that was a lot. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so, so now if you have time, you have to get time. I am good. I am good. Okay. So I want to talk to you about uh, modern player development and how we how we're utilizing technology in in developing athletes and all the things that we can create assessments for to be able to figure out what you know to have some kind of a number on information that's telling us what we know we saw, but to what degree is what we saw, is, is it happening or not happening, right? So I think um, just for you in, in, in your space, I'm curious to know what type of, like what, what's your go-to, you know, obviously there's, there's ways that we can go deep into technology and do deep labs and kind of dissect things, but like just go too quick, somebody comes in, I, I, wanna, I wanna start taking lessons with, with Coach Tina Whitlock. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing some of the technology that you're employing on your end that's helping you to become even better at ascertaining what your athletes are, are coming in with. Well, the first thing that I want to do is just get to know my athlete the mm-hmm. best I can, mind, body, spirit kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because what I find a lot of times is um, if an athlete's not moving correctly, um, 
that's going to inhibit a lot of things. So um, I've tried a couple different technologies. Obviously, I'll do, I'll do exit velocity. Um, we'll do a thing called the hitter's handicap. So that that when I do the hitter handicap, it, it actually will convey to me like um, just different patterns, you know, in how the athlete um, moves throughout their swing. Yeah. Um, anything from focus to fatigue um, or any mechanical breakdowns. Um, that's one of my go-tos and that's just dealing with exit velocity. Now we're not looking at peak exit velocity in that. However, it is a component, mm -hmm. um, as well as, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, the bottom uh, level, um, exit velocity as well, but more so just the patterns that evolve through the swing. Um, and to see, you know, are they balanced? Are they, and, and how that plays into their consistency, consistency to barrel up the ball. Um, at a peak velocity, but we're looking mainly for optimal performance. Um, I'm fortunate where I am at Apex that I'm able to go utilize their lab. If an athlete has the means to be able to do that, we can go get a, a full um, motion capture analysis. And to me, that's the that's the highest form of technology that I've been using recently. I've done some stuff with um, the KVS. I've done blast motion. I've used some of the area other things. But for me, that personally, I had to also look and see what things with the resources of my athletes as well as the resources I had, what would be the best fit. And right now I'm finding that the biomechanics piece and being able to do motion capture has, um, along with exit velocity, been has been the good thing. Um, and um, so, you know, once we do that, we're gonna look and see what things we can do to help get them to move better, but also the mind. Um, I am in no means MIA, um sports psychologist mm -hmm. however those are the times when i don't speak from a coach's mindset but i think speak athlete to athlete um because you know it's funny how that saying oh well you might have been a good athlete but you may you're not a good coach that comes about mm -hmm. a lot of times right mm -hmm. and i was like well, how do you do battle with that i'm like okay that's how i do battle with this i talk to you only from an athlete's perspective you and i were both athletes because i'm 46 years old so i'm i i, I kind of had that feeling of like I'm a has-been, but yet there's that part of me, that ego in me that says, I'm not hanging up my cleats yet. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I try to speak to my athletes from that perspective, athlete to athlete. So that way then I can get in their mind and see exactly what's holding them back there as well. Um, I have a, I've done some lay counseling, so that helps me as well. And what mm -hmm. I find is when I can create an environment for the athlete to truly, truly feel um, that the, the cage or the ball field is their sanctuary to get away from life they can truly get lost in the game and just play right and to me kind of picking apart all that stuff and picking apart the swing in a way that, that when we rebuild we rebuild a really strong foundation and a strong-minded athlete usually brings about a good strong approach that's good so when you're in a practice session because i'm you know i'm i feel like one of my biggest strengths is also i think i think most coaches who have has, have had sustained sustained success over the course of a long period of time in developing athletes you 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 have to transcend the physical realm <laughs> because obviously you know people say hitting and or it, 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 people say it's 90% mental 80% mental whatever we know it's a lot we know it's more than the physical part right so i always tell my athletes i have them i ask them what, what part of the of, of your game would you say is mental? And they'll, and they'll say 75, some will say 80, some will say 90. I say, okay, so what's left? They're like 10%. Okay, so if we master this physical plane, that's 10%. That's 
that's nothing. We have to be able to incorporate what we're doing on the mental side, whether it's visual, mental, cognitive, but from the neck up, right? We have to be able to kind of figure out what are the things that make you really good in that area and what are the things that are your hindrances? And we have to address it, but we have to address it in the training environment. So that's something that I take a whole lot of pride in. So I'm really glad you said that because people who yeah. know me, they know that it's, um, we, don't, we don't just randomly do front toss. It's not random. There's always, there's always, you know, there's always a count. There's always a game plan. One of the other things that I do um, is I just listen to what the athlete acknowledges. And when I listen to, like, they'll be hitting, right? They'll barrel up some really good hits and they don't acknowledge them. But the moment they miss hit a ball, they acknowledge it. They like, they frown, they sigh, they cuss, whatever it might be, they acknowledge it. And so I let, I, I start to look at that pattern. What are you doing? Uh, and, I, and I see where, where's their mindset? What are the things that they're acknowledging? And what I have found is many or majority of the athletes will acknowledge their failures. And to me, when we're dealing with a high failure rate game, you cannot be acknowledging only your failures. Cause that's where you, then all of a sudden you're lingering in that state of failure. So. I, what I get, I start to bring awareness to that. I'm like, okay, I'll let him go. You know, let us really see how this pattern is. Then does that acknowledgement lead to frustration? Does that acknowledgement lead, acknowledgement lead to breakdown? And that's one of the things that I find most common that I'm changing in the athletes is their acknowledgement of their failure and how long they linger there. And when we can start changing that around to where they're acknowledging their, their, their successes, then you've got athletes like Tatis Jr. who is excited to play the game and they're enjoying that moment where they have found success. And to me, I think that's a great place to be. You know what, also, <clears throat> just what was good about that though? Like sometimes, okay, I know you didn't, it wasn't what you wanted, but sometimes I'll see it, I'm like, that was, that's exactly what I wanted. They're like, yeah, but I, yeah, but I popped it up. Yeah, but you also did this, this and this though. And yeah. You haven't done that yet. Like, why are you just focusing on? And a lot of that is perfectionism. And you know, perfectionism is one of those demons that it's it's almost like the worst thing you can be is a perfectionist. Especially, yeah. I mean, and there's a difference. And I tell my my athletes, there's a difference between excellence and perfectionism. Yep. Yes, we want to be excellent, but we also know that we we're not chasing perfection. We're chasing we're chasing consistency. We, we want to be self-aware. We want to know kind of when something happened, why it happened, how it happened, so that we can get closer to what we want to happen later on, later on down the road. I had a, I had a kid who um, I just met her, and and she came in and she similar to what you said. She only had a response to when she didn't do something to the level that she thought she should have done it. Bad throw, you know, whatever. Uh, topping off, you know, getting on top of some balls, hitting grounders. I'm like, hey, let's let's practice having more of a positive, positive body language, no matter what the outcome is. Let's not be outcome driven. Let's focus on the process and let's practice body language, facial expression after each rep. And I need it to be the same whether you thought it was great or whether you thought it wasn't great. Because you have to you have to you have to work on that. And so I'm glad you said that. I'm glad I'm not the only one doing that. And and because I already knew that it doesn't even matter. How many balls I flip her, and how many how many commands I yell at her, or, or, or bark out at her. If she can't get those emotions under control, 
she's gonna be she's gonna go from bad pitch <laughs> to bad at bat, bad at bat to bad game, bad game to bad day, bad day to bad weekend, bad weekend to bad month, bad month to bad season, bad season. Yeah. And now you just and she created it all on her own. So yeah, yeah what, absolutely. One of the things too with awareness and is intention. <clears throat> so you know you're going to have that round where you know you're just not getting the outcome you want, but you're getting an outcome. And I'll try to point out like, hey, you're right, you did pop that up. However, that will apply in this particular situation. So now you recognize it. Now you can create that in the situation that you want it to intentionally. So I try to pull the good out of it to where mm -hmm. I can start to bring some awareness that this will work for you in this situation. Did it work for you in this one? No, mm -hmm. but we can apply it to the next situation and that will work. And what I find is you start to see the athlete being able to make the adjustments pitch to pitch rather than at just just solely at bat or like you said, that the, the domino effect absolutely, <laughs> you know, down absolutely. the line. That you, know, you get a hold of it before it gets it snowballs. What, what is your, if you can only, and I, I, um, I ask myself this question all the time and I, I have my answer, but if you can only have one, you know, there's all kinds of hidden gadgets out there, right? And I think in my experiences, the best hidden gadgets are the gadgets or the inventions that help hitters to feel it really quickly. Exactly. Right. right? That, that's in my in my experience. Right. So, but for you, I'm curious to know. Uh, and I ask this I ask this question to a lot, a lot of different folks. If you can only pick one thing, and you can only do that one thing with all your hitters, and that's the only thing you could do in training when it came in, it's the only gadget you can use. What would that gadget be? Do you have one of those? One. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to say the the grips, bar grips. The bar um, grips. This, yeah, the second would be the big, big ugly bat, the overloaded wooden bat, you know, the, the okay. one that's like 50 ounces, but no, the bar grips. So I use bar grips because I believe good hitters are going to be strong in the hands, strong in the feet and strong in the hands. And I think so the bar grips, I think they give immediate feedback. Um, they bring about good focus. They work on the sequence of the, the hand grip and they develop bat, bat head control and the perk of good exit velocity too. Okay, you got to say, you have to send me the information on that thing. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in knowing more about that. All right, and then, uh, so for me, it would be the um, the overload, the overload balls, like the, the heavy balls. Yep. Because I feel like they're taking their swing and the ball is giving them feedback at contact and then they can yep. just adjust from there. But specifically, I like to have multiple uh, weights and in, in whether I'm throwing overhand or whether I'm throwing front, uh, you know, front, front flips, so that they're getting, I'm having all these different feels for each hitter. And so I'll go like heavy ball, then I'll go over to the real ball for like four, for like four, and then they'll start to see, they'll start to feel. And I say, hey, hit the real ball the same way you would try to hit the, hit the heavy ball. Yeah. They, normally they don't do that. They just, they just like, it's just contact sometimes. But we, we want quality of contact. Because sometimes I have a lot of kids, I feel like they're coming from a mentality of don't miss. But the ground ball and the pop up is actually a miss. It's a, it's a miss hit. So yes. can, can, can we get can we can we focus on quality of contact and then work backward from that? What type of moving sequence patterns do we need for that? What type of posture do we need for that? For that particular pitch, where should that pitch have been hit? Let's let's do it again. I'll throw four more in that same spot. Let, let's try to figure out what angle your bat should be on in that pitch, and then they start to understand angle. 
Then start to understand yeah. from that location with this bad angle, this is going to be my outcome. Yeah, I think that the, the yeah. key there you spoke of is just we'll throw four more. So you're you're yeah. giving them the rep to feel that, mm -hmm. and that's one thing I think that's gotten lost in some of the development was um, or training I should say is the ability to rep out um, towards mastery, rep out, rep out, and um, I, um, I I personally you know, understood a little more of that when I was about a, a sophomore in college because mm -hmm. no longer were the pitchers throwing me inside, they went outside to take mm -hmm. away the little bit of power I had. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to learn how to rep out that outside pitch mm -hmm. and yeah. have a better understanding of that. Because what I, it's funny you said that about the outside pitch. So what I'm learning just from what the numbers are telling me, like I'll do, I'll do exit velo. And I, I'm not a fan of exit velo on the tee. I'm not a fan of anything on the tee. <laughs> I mean, I think that T is kind of necessary sometimes, but only when it's necessary. And then if we do spend time on the T, it's, it's got to be in a specific way. Because sometimes I think the T can take people backwards. So it's very important for me, like when my, when my players are on a T, that they're very intentional on the T. Because I feel like some kids are going backwards on T work because because there's no intent in the T work. The ball yes. the ball is not coming from anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It has no velocity to it. There's no spin. And sometimes it you know it, and the decision is already made for you on the tee. So there's no decision making going on. It's just it's just it's just not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think yeah, I think that's where I think where like the T is beneficial is when you're working on the swing itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can incorporate some situational things in there. Like if, if there's a specific, you know, type of execution that you're trying to occur, mm -hmm. like, well, I'll utilize the T for high T or, you know, working different locations for maybe a concept or an approach mm -hmm. that I'm working on. But mainly when I work off the T, it's because I'm still working on the mechanical pieces of the swing. Mm -hmm. um, when we get into front toss moving and all that, that's when you're working on the hitting piece of it, mm -hmm. um, the approach piece of it, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, you're, you're right in the sense that you kind of go backwards, you know, mm -hmm. you do, but you know, it's, it, it where you got to know what you're going backwards to. And to, to me, to get, it's, right, you're, yeah. you're working on the swing as opposed mm -hmm. to working on solely the hitting piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it, as long as I can get my players to be very, very intentional on the tee, we, it, it, we can get some good out of that. <laughs> yeah, and not, and not everybody yeah. likes it. And I'll be honest with yeah. you, I didn't like the tee. I, I actually mm -hmm. use it quite a bit. Um, however, again, it's a progression from that, from the mm -hmm. tee to, to, to live and um, but again, too, the people I'm working with, they, they need the biomechanics piece of the movement pieces, mm -hmm. you know, so that way then they, we can sequence well. Some of them can get it very naturally. Some of mm -hmm. them need just a little bit additional mm -hmm. help. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this has been, I, I, I want to have, have you back like really soon. You know, I, I don't know how much time you have, <laughs> but uh -huh. in, in any event, I'm going to be down your way. I'm going to be in the, uh, the Hilton Head May River. May River, South Carolina area. Very nice. When are you coming? Um, next weekend, uh, September. Oh, next weekend. 17th, 18th, 19th. Uh, I'm going to be down with uh, Carolina Elite Softball. Excellent. I'm actually going to be running the, the team's first three-hour practice. We're going to do some defense, some base running, some outfield stuff. So we're going to do some infield stuff. Um, and just kind of, he, he, he's just meeting his team for the first time. So we're going to cover all the details that 
probably have been undertaught from where the, where the kids are coming from, different different places they're coming from. Which which coach are you coming down to uh, to work with? Coach um, Sean Gleason. Okay. Yes. Yes, he's yeah. done. We he was involved with the CCSL, bringing his teams to. His, his daughter. I actually connected him with uh, Kelly Aaron's also. Oh, good, good, good. I felt bad that I couldn't have my teams. You know, I had I had two college teams that I did. We did up. We were in the Northeast. Two college summer teams that I did, but I couldn't get the commitment for people who wanted to come down this year. But next year, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have two, maybe even three teams. And for the most part, we just kind of played each other. But and then I'll take a group from those three teams. I should be able to get four people from each team. I mean, I, if I can't do that, I'm not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that would be great. And then we'll come down. It'll be fun. And I'll, I'll probably have to, I'll, I'll have to get a coach. Excellent. Thank really you great. so much for having me um, as a guest and letting yeah. me just share a little bit about my journey. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, we'll talk soon. Bye, Rob. Oh, have by the way, before, before you go, how okay. can people get in touch with you and follow you, like social media or what have you, if they want to kind of follow what's going on with you? Um, well, I have, on social media, I have, mm -hmm. Tina Plue Whitlock, which is kind of my my professional, you know, Instagram and uh -huh. Facebook pages. And then just personally, it's just Tina Whitlock. Um, usually that's where kind of my my faith based stuff is things uh -huh. about my personal life. Yeah, okay. But if they're looking for just baseball, uh, Tina Plue Whitlock on the gotcha. on Instagram. All right. And I will make sure that I put that in the show notes with the correct spellings and links. So you guys can follow, follow her and see what's going on. There's a lot of things are happening in the world it's time it's, it's been it, first of all it's been too long that women have not had the opportunity to get into pro sports but you know now that it's time it's time let's go let's make let's make it happen and let's get some diversity let's get some more some, some fresh perspectives up in there and let's let's change the game because personally i can't even watch baseball every day it's hard for me <laughs> it's hard <laughs> that's another podcast though that's another podcast so um again have a great week um thank you again and we will talk soon Thank you, Rob. All right.